Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you are here. This Wednesday night, we heard from Pastor McLaughlin as he continued his series, The Six Foundation Stones to Build On. He focused on love in this episode, and we hope you are encouraged. This subject tonight is the last of the six character stones, the most important, definitely the most important. You know, and every preacher and every teacher will understand what I'm about to say. There are times that you go into study, man, it flows. It flows. It's almost like a supernatural study, and you just it just all unfolds. And there are other times when, man, you just just. And then I realized why. This subject that I'm going to talk about tonight, the width, the height the depth and the length of it is so beyond human description that you almost don't even know how to study it. You feel so inadequate when you start to study it. It's God's love. It's God's love. Makes you feel very inferior to even try to approach the subject and teach it because of the act of love on Calvary was so, how do you, how do you with words describe it? And yet, in just a few short minutes, I'll try to talk to you tonight about this characteristic of the Lord that then should become a character quality in our lives, love. Jesus said in John chapter 13, 33 and 34, he said, a new commandment that I give you, and I'm not reading it, a new commandment that I give you that you love one another. Love one another like I loved you. This, or by this, shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. But he said the love that we're supposed to have for one another is like the love that he loved us with. He's asking us to do something humanly impossible. It's not in us humanly to love that way. The only way that we can even begin to scratch the surface and come close is by, according to Romans 5, 5, the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. 
without the Holy Ghost, it is virtually impossible. In fact, it is impossible to love with agape love. I only have a little inheritance right now. And I would pray that Calvary Pentecostal Church would be able to love one another like the Lord has loved us. And you know what that means personally in your life. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love, or the KJV said, God commendeth his love toward us. When? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hmm. And then he said, love one another like I've loved you. We're pretty performance-based in our love for one another. If you'll do this, I'll love you. And the more you do that, the deeper love you'll get from me. But if you don't perform this way, I'm going to withhold my love. And he's saying right here, this is a new commandment. Humanly, it's impossible, but with God, we can demonstrate a love that just doesn't even really make sense. I want to talk to you about this character of love tonight. Would you help me pray before you're seated? I love you so much, Jesus. God, you know I need your help here. I feel so very inadequate to talk about your love. I know I'm a recipient of it. I know your love radically changed my life. But I don't even feel like I know the beginning of your love. I give you honor tonight, Lord, and I pray that we would love one another as you have loved us so that all men would know we're your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing in honor of the word of the Lord. It is too powerful to be described in one word and too essential to be singularly mentioned. What is indescribable mercy? What is unfailing love? What is unexplainable grace? What is uncompromising faithfulness? Is God's love. The English word does not even begin to describe what it means. Paul describes this love as unconditional, and it radically changes the one who is loved when that love goes into demonstration. It was once and for all demonstrated at Calvary, and there is no greater love than Calvary love. The old gospel song says it this way, and I'll never forget. I got into the church February 23rd, 1989, and then I moved to Houston about a year later to attend Bible college. And while I was there, I would attend Wayne McLean's church. I attended Brother Kilgore's church. 
Um, I attended uh, Roger Blackburn's church, uh, attended Jerry Green's church. Somebody said, my Lord, Brother McLaughlin, you were a church hopper. No, I wasn't a church hopper. They made you do that. Um, and they would assign you a different church every quarter um, for, for good reason. And I'll never forget going to Brother McLean's church and the choir would get up and sing. And this is the song that they would sing. Jesus went to Calvary to save a wretch like you and me. That's love. That's love. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He hung his head. For me, he died. That's love. That's love. That's not how the story ends. Three days later, he rose again. That's love. That's love. Somebody said, how much did he love me? He loved you this much. That's Calvary love. And that's what we're talking about tonight is the love of God that is demonstrated for the worst of sinners. Calvary, I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter how far they've gone. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what kind of label they have on them. It doesn't matter what kind of reputation they have. When God demonstrates his love in that while they are yet sinners, could it be that he sees the sinner becoming saint and his love is demonstrated based on their potential, not their problem? I wonder what would happen if we started loving people according to their potential and not their problem. Come on, we need to demonstrate the love of God. We need to demonstrate the love of God. We deal with the problem. Let grace deal with the problem. But let's see into their potential. And let God love them through us. Can we clap our hands to the Lord and give Him praise? God, we love you. God, we love you. God, we love you. Love is not merely an emotion or a feeling, but involves action on behalf of someone in need. Paul calls love the more excellent way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on the heels of just describing the gifts of the Spirit. And he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but he said if you really want to know a more excellent way, something that's superior to even the gifts of the Spirit, he said, I want to introduce you to a more excellent way. And he said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become sounding brass and a clanging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Solomon aptly stated that love cannot be quenched. Many waters cannot quench love nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give love for love all the wealth of his house, it would utterly be despised. Ephesians tells us that love is stronger than the prison of sin. But God, who is rich in mercy... 
for His great love wherewith He loved us, even while we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. We are rooted and grounded in love. Without love, there is no biblical leadership. Love is the bedrock of Christianity. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God demonstrated His love toward us, the Bible says, at just the right time. The word time, as we have already learned, is not chronos here, but it is keros here, which means vertical time. It means time that cannot be measured, and it's a time that comes first from above. In other words, God's love is from above, and it transcends all earthly love, and it literally transcends anything that happens in this world. That's why prodigal can walk through those doors and come home, and the love of God can turn prodigal around because it's a love that comes down in a moment's time prodigal can be sitting in a bar room somewhere right now sitting on a bar stool but all of a sudden God's love is served up to prodigal son and prodigal says what am I doing in this pig's pen why am I in this place right now what am I doing here and God's love that cannot be quenched by many waters cannot be quenched by the waters of bitterness, cannot be quenched by the waters of unforgiveness, cannot be quenched by the waters of woundedness, and all of a sudden God's love says, let me wash away the pain, let me wash away the scar, let me wash away the label. Come on, Calvary, when they come back, we better make up our minds that if God loves them that way, we better love them that way. Let's love them, the potential coming out of them and allow God to demonstrate his love. Can we clap our hands to him tonight and can we give him praise together? God of heaven, have your way. Oh, mighty God, we love you. His love transcends all earthly love and his love knows when to show up. The Bible says that his love showed up when we were yet sinners and when we were still without strength. That without strength means that we were powerless. We were weak. We were sick. We were feeble. And we were broken. But in the minute or in the middle of our powerlessness, God's love showed up. When we were weak and we couldn't take another step, God's love showed up. When we were sick and we didn't know if we would recover, God's love showed up in the room. When we were feeble and broken by being hurt and by being disappointed, all of a sudden, God's love showed up. God's saving love was planned from the foundation of the world. Re uh, Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 says that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So it was in the mind of God, but what was in the mind of God and that love being displayed and demonstrated did not go into action until a manger. And from the manger, love went into the world. Can I tell you what that love did? That love said there's no more division between Jew and Gentile. Calvary's love brought the world together. We need to get back to the love of God. 
Whatever your political persuasion, it really does not matter. God's love is greater than politics. God's love is greater than your personal issues. We need the love of God to pull us all together and unite us. If we're going to have revival, we better be able to love deeper than we've ever seen or experienced before. God help Calvary. God help Don't let your politics drive your love. You let Calvary drive your love. Don't get in some political corner over here and all of a sudden start shooting, throwing verbal bombs. Somewhere the love of God has to baptize this world. So, don't get quiet on me right now. Don't get quiet on me right now. We'll deal with that devil. Come on, Calvary. We've got a love beyond. Yeah. When we were at our worst, his agape love entered into a broken world and lifted us up and out of sin so that we could become our best. In 1912, while reading Matthew 14, songwriter James Rowe was overwhelmed by the love Jesus demonstrated to Simon Peter when Peter sank under the waters of despair. It is said that James Rowe, as he was reading Matthew 14, saw himself in Simon Peter. And seeing himself sinking deep under the waters of sin, he wrote the song, Love Lifted Me. Another song when I got into the church. I got into the church and old brother Davis, old Korean veteran, would get up and just short man and he'd loosen up that tie and his face would turn five shades of red and he would begin to sing, Love Lifted Me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Souls in danger, look above. Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. But the master of the sea billows his will obey. He, your Savior, wants to be. Be saved today. And he would go into the chorus, love. Y'all know that song? You know that song? You remember singing that song when you first got into the church? Man, they would sing it. I'm telling you, you know, one of the dangers that we'll have is the longer we're in church, we forget how terrible sin was. When you're, when you're in church the first six months, your memory is still tainted big time with the marks of sin. And when they would sing this song and you would just stretch back just a few months before and you would think, oh yeah, those angry waves of sin and how they were trying to drown me. Drug addiction was trying to take me down. Lies were trying to take me down. Evil was trying to take me down. But God's love reached into this old drug addict's life and pulled me up out of the mind 
fiery clay. I'm just telling you right now, it's the love of God. If you'll let his love reach into that miry clay and pull you up and pull you out, he will put something in your spirit that you'll never go back to addiction. You'll never go back to dysfunction. You'll never go back to the pain. I'm just talking about a love, a love. There is no greater love. A Calvary love that's demonstrated when the sinner comes home and he turns the sinner into a saint. It's the love of God. And he's saying, I just want a church in the world today. There's so much hate. There's so much confusion. There's so much discrimination. There's so much superior, inferior, elite, non-elite. We just need the love of God to erase all of that. Come on, Calvary. Let's love deeper than we've ever loved. Wider than we've ever loved. Higher than we've ever loved. Jesus' death was a substitutionary death. A death in the place of others. So Paul says, For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. Yet perhaps for a good man some may even dare to die. In other words, during that time, a person was willing to die for a righteous or a good man. And he was willing to offer himself as a substitute so that that righteous man could continue to live. For scarcely one would die for a good man. Scarcely. Hard to even find someone to love that deeply. I think any, any parent here would, would, and you know that you would, lay your life down for your children. You, you love your children so deeply that there's nothing inside, there's no hesitation. If something, something bad was going to happen to one of your children, there's just absolutely no hesitation that you would lay your life down for your children. And, and because you love them deeply, this is the highest expression of human love and devotion. And yet we come to Jesus' love. We come to Calvary love. Incomprehensible love for us that is demonstrated not just by his death on the cross, but for whom he died. In other words, he did not die at Calvary for good people. He did not die at Calvary for righteous people. He died for sinners like you and me. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he didn't wait for you to become good and righteous before he would demonstrate his love. He said, when you are at your worst, I'm going to love you. When you are down to nothing, I'm going to love you. When you don't look like me at all, I'm going to love you. When you are failing miserably, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to commend my love to you. And that while you are sinners, I will willingly lay my life down for you. The King James Version said God commendeth his love. It means to keep on showing. It wasn't a one-time act. Though Calvary was a one-time act. That's the indicative truth about his love. The operative truth is that it operates and it continues on and it continues on. This, this demonstration, this commending his love means to keep on showing. And it describes an enduring love that continues to forgive us and to forgive us of every sin that we have committed. So Luke 24, or excuse me, Luke 23, 34 <clears throat> says, Then said Jesus, Father... 
Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment, and they cast lots to see who would get his raiment. How do you show love? How do we show love? How do we show Calvary love? How do we commend love or keep on showing love? When crucified? When spit on? When nailed? When hung? When abandoned? You know how you show love? You forgive. Clothing represented one's identity. Roman custom awarded the criminal's clothes to the soldiers. And so the scripture says that they sought to strip him of his identity. When treated like a criminal and your identity is attacked, there is an attempt to redefine you and literally take off what you have and and take that and roll dice to see what part I'm going to get. How do you show love? You know what you do? You keep on forgiving. Anybody under attack right now? Anybody feeling crucified right now? Anybody spitting on you right now? Anybody nailing you right now? Anybody feel betrayed right now? Well, you don't retaliate. You know what you do? You just forgive them. You just forgive them. You say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I know they want my garment. I know they want my covering. I know they want my calling. I know they want my anointing but I'm not letting them get my anointing. I'm not letting them get my covering. I'm not going to be pulled into that carnal nature. I'm not going to be, I'm not coming down to them. I'm going to stay on my cross and I am going to forgive. I know they don't even understand how they are hurting me right now but you didn't call me to retaliate. You called me to commend love to them. You called me to forgive them. Amen and to demonstrate agape love not a phileo love not a you do something good for me and I'll do something good for you if you forgive me I'll forgive you but if you don't forgive me I'm not forgiving you that's not agape love agape love is that I have the high your highest interest in mind and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to see you benefit and I'm not expecting anything in return that's Calvary love you've got to let go of the expectations when you show love you can't show love love thinking they're going to reciprocate they may never reciprocate that's not why you're loving them you're not asking them to reciprocate you just want to demonstrate the love of God and that's what he has called us to do and he said that's why he said this is a new commandment that I give you Old Testament eye for eye tooth for tooth you hurt me I'm going to hurt you new commandment accountable to the cross of Calvary You retaliate, you fail to forgive, you're going to answer to Calvary, you're held accountable to Calvary. You stand before God in judgment, spirit of unforgiveness, and you're lost because you didn't forgive. You're going to say, well, but look what they did to me, and all of a sudden their Calvary will stand. Calvary will stand. And all of the while, you're giving the excuses for not forgiving. There's Calvary. In Calvary. So that excuse after excuse after excuse for not demonstrating love through forgiveness is taken away. And you and Calvary will have to stand side by side. This character of love. Love and unforgiveness cannot live in the same heart. 
impossible. The one fed will destroy the one starved. If you're going to lead yourself well, feed love and starve forgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Love is demonstrated by forgiveness. When we refuse to forgive, unforgiveness keeps us emotionally stuck to both the offense and the offender. A continual refusal to forgive digs a deep hole and a deeper hole so that we easily hide a hardened heart by blaming others to justify our unforgiveness. If you only knew, Brother McLaughlin, and there is no doubt that there is deep pain and there is deep hurt, but there stands Calvary next to all of it. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Though buried, past hurts are still alive, and anything buried alive will have a resurrection. Oddly enough, unforgiveness can cause us to become like the offender, so be careful about holding on to unforgiveness. It can transform you to becoming just like the one who offended you. Further, not forgiving your offender is an offense to God, making us an offender to God as well. Holding on to unforgiveness is like carrying around a sack of cement all day. If you hold unforgiveness in your heart, you walk around with a weight that God never intended you to bear. But forgiveness releases the weight. He who angers you controls you. And you'll meet him 20 years from now. He will be tied to your mind. She will be tied to your back. And the only thing that will cut that person loose, the offender loose, is when you have enough love to forgive them. This kind of love and this kind of forgiveness will not make sense to you. It will defy and you'll feel like you're betraying yourself. But when you go to Calvary and you get unconditional love, you'll say to me and you'll say to others, I don't even know how I really forgave them. I don't know. Humanly I wanted revenge. Humanly I wanted to retaliate. Humanly I wanted the whole world to know what they did to me. But somewhere Calvary got a hold of me. Somewhere God's love got a hold of me. It changed me. I know I'm defying who I've always been in my life. But something happened to me in the upper room. Pentecost changed me. And Pentecost helped me to forgive my stepdad. Pentecost helped me to forgive my mom. Pentecost helped me to forgive those that deeply hurt me. And hopefully those I deeply hurt have somewhere found it in their heart to forgive me. Oh, how I pray those that I have offended would forgive me. It's love. It's love. It's love. 
man, things can get so twisted up. The author of confusion goes to work and the father of lies goes to work in people's imagination. Then they withdraw and isolate and so you never really get to talk. And you never get to explain the true story. And all of the while they're out there and it builds up and it builds up. It builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And because there's wound attachments, they find other people that have been offended. And all of a sudden you've got this castle, this, this iron castle. And they feel like they can't escape and they can't get away. Listen to me. Don't you go into that same iron castle. Because if they ever walk through the doors of this church, the, the, as you think in your heart, so are you. You've got to be thinking love toward them. They may have hurt you. They may have spread rumors about you. They may have falsely accused you. You've got to have love in your heart so that if they if you ever meet them face to face you don't have to tuck and run you don't have to go somewhere else you've already processed it in your spirit before it ever happens you've already gone through it in your heart you've already gone through it in your mind you're not trying to ignore them you're not trying to walk the other way you've already worked it out in your own spirit and so it's like God says okay you've already handled it in the Holy Ghost you've already handled it in your spirit I'm going to allow you to meet face to face and it's not like you're going to have to panic in that moment and say, what do I do? You're able to embrace. You're able to restore. I'm not talking about being a doormat. I'm not talking about being abused again. I'm not talking about going back to an old normal that's totally dysfunctional. But I am talking about releasing yourself through forgiveness. Releasing yourself through the love of God that sets you free. Love draws boundaries and love says, no, I will not go back to that and be abused again, but I can step across a bloodline. I can forgive my past. I can look into the future and through the love of God, I can look into the future and say, if anything happens to me, and it is going to happen, I promise you it's going to happen. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. That's love. That's love. If you hold on to that unforgiveness in your heart, you'll walk around with a weight that God never intended you to bear. To do so as an insult to Calvary. Calvary was supposed to bear that. You're not supposed to bear that. Leverage and take advantage of everything that happened on the cross. Go to the cross. If you've got to write it down, write it down. Nail it to the tree. And say, I release it once and for all. I release it. I nail it to the tree and let his blood flow down that and cover that issue. And, and allow God to cultivate that love. I'm going to ask a couple of questions here. Are you carrying the weight of unforgiveness and wondering why you feel stuck or perhaps significantly slowed in your life and nothing is moving forward and nothing is happening? Could it be that it's not about a location? Could it be that it's not about prestige, celebrity status, position, Money, salary, car, house, whatever job, whatever we want to pin it on. 
Could it possibly be that being paralyzed and stuck and not moving is because somewhere there was an offense. Somewhere there was an insult. Somewhere there was an injury. And from that point forward, unforgiveness has trapped you. And you can jump and jump and jump and go and move and run. And you're stuck. Physically you're going. Physically you're going. Spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Stuck. Tied. Tied back there. The problem is, is that when you move forward, you just drag it all with you. And you unpack it wherever you are. Forgiveness. Is God asking you to love unconditionally by demonstrating forgiveness? Paul said, love keeps no record of wrongs. When mental, spiritual, and emotional records are kept, we are kept from some very important things in our life. I'm going to say it again because you're going to pay a high price for keeping records. If you keep records, you're going to be kept from some very important things in your life. So just know it's a trade-off. For those of you that are detailed, melancholy, and you have a hard time forgetting and forgiving, you need to listen to me right now. You're going to pay a miserable price for keeping detailed records on relationship issues. Very important things will disappear from your life like true joy. I'm not talking about momentary joy that comes from objects, people, situations, achieving goals. I'm talking about long-term, deep inner joy and peace. Unforgiveness will take that from you, and keeping records will rob you of your joy. The crazy thing is psychologists call it transference. It could have, could have been somebody 20 years ago, and they're gone. They're in the grave. They're gone. You couldn't reconcile it with the people that were in the grave, and so now you've transferred it to people that are in, in your life presently. And they didn't even do anything. And you don't even know why you're doing it because it's such a habitual pattern. Peace. You may have to trade off and lose righteousness. What about discernment? People that have a spirit of unforgiveness make poor decisions consistently. They can't think straight. They've lost true discernment. The KJV uses the word thinketh in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13. Do not behave, does not, love does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Other translations say keep no record of wrongs. The word thinketh, to it's a word that describes the role of a record keeper or a detailed accountant who keeps record to the penny, can keep record to the penny. And that's an excellent quality when managing money, but it's a very, very poor quality when managing relationships. If you can't forgive down to the penny, you're going to struggle in life. You are going to struggle in life. There is a trade-off. If you keep those records, you lose some very important things that God would want to put in your heart and put in your spirit. Let's look at it. Let's look at two or three definitions from two or three different sources. First of all is Strong's. 
Greek dictionary. The word is thinketh. It is logizome, and it means, think about this, to keep record of wrongs. It means to take an inventory. It means to number, to reason, to think on. Thayer's Greek lexicon gives more insight to reckon, to count, to compute, to calculate, to count over it again and again, to measure inwardly by gathering up all the reasons to keep record, to count up, to weigh the reasons, to deliberate, to meditate on, to judge, to decide. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If this is mulling over in your mind over and over and over, true agape love is in question right there. You say, well, how in the world do I, do I, do I recover? You've got to forgive. You've got to let them go. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No, I don't want to forgive. I enjoy measuring it up. I enjoy gathering all of the details. I, I enjoy mulling it over in my mind over and over and over and over. It's kind of a distorted therapy for me and it makes me feel empowered when I realize how wrong they did me and how right I really am. Oh, how I feel good and how I get intoxicated with this. I Think about these things all the time. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. That's love. That's love. The complete word study dictionary of the New Testament states the verb, logizome, means to put together with one's mind, to count to occupy oneself with reckonings and with calculations. <clears throat> Pull the calculator out. And five plus 25 is 50. Plus 25. You got this one little button right here. You got all calculates. It's one little button, that, that little letter C right there. What was that number again? What did we calculate? Do you remember that number? What was it again? How, let me go through that equation again. What were, all those what were all those numbers? Can you give me that data? Let's figure this out. I can't, because once you hit clear, everything's forgotten. We may need to hit clear, ladies and gentlemen. We may need to hit clear. Some, don't let it control your spirit. Don't let it control your mind. Hit that button and clear yourself. You know what it's called? God, I forgive them. Clear, I'm clearing it. I'm not calculating it anymore. I'm not measuring it up. Oh yeah, when I get in the room with them, you just wait, man. I, I've got a three point, man. I'm gonna fight this thing. I've got it figured out. When you forgive, there's no preconceived notion. You're not going into the situation with a calculated response. You've already given it to God and they talk to you and you just kind of sit there going, I, I really don't know what to say. Why? Because I went to Calvary and Calvary changed my mind about this whole thing. Calvary set me free. When I stood in the presence of a bleeding Savior, I had to 
to recognize the power and the price of the blood. And when I looked at the price of the blood and I looked at the price that I'm paying with this bitterness and with this resentment, it's not worth it. I don't want it in my spirit. I, don't, I just want to love. I want to love. I want, I want the love of God. I just want the love of God. I want it to be simple. I don't want it to be so confusing. Oh, how we humans can so confuse things. Man, we can convince the most skeptic of jurors. Jesus' love destroyed all my records. And he didn't even tell anyone what I did. Nor did he or has he over 30 years ever held one thing against me. Calvary love. When Calvary love forgives, we don't feel like we've got to tell everybody about it. When Calvary love forgives... We don't feel like we have to hold it against them for the rest of their life. What a high cost to pay. Is it really worth it? Are you having fun holding on to it? Is it that enjoyable? All of the while... God's love just starts draining out, draining out, draining out, draining out. There's a high cost to holding on to the inventory of wrongs others have committed against you. In leadership, listen, and I know I'm, I'm, this, the default here in all of this writing is about leading yourself well. But in leadership, this is a constant that you must prepare yourself to endure and forgive more than you're offended. Forgive more than you're offended. Forgive more than you're offended. If you're in a family that's dysfunctional, you've got to learn to forgive more than you're offended. If you are, listen to me, can, can I talk to you right now from my heart? If you're putting families together, if there are blended families or when son marries daughter or daughter marries son and when they all get married and you're putting families together you better forgive more than you get offended you better forgive you're going to offend me I'm probably going to offend you but what about Calvary love what about the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, that erases everything and causes us to love beyond it all God help me to demonstrate your love it's not worth it the price of holding on to that negative, sinful inventory. You're going to have to build a bigger warehouse. You have to get more hard drive space. You may need to get an external hard drive with a terabyte because the inventory just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And you don't have enough storage here on this. And so you may need this one day may need that one day. Hold on. Yeah. Calvary love. Calvary love. Love and unforgiveness cannot live in the same heart. Love and unforgiveness 
cannot live in the same heart. One will cannibalize the other. Impossible. You cannot have Calvary love and unforgiveness at the same time. It is impossible. An unforgiving heart is judgmental, focusing on past wrongs that the offender committed. An unforgiving heart is merciless, rehearsing the reasons why the offender does not deserve mercy. It is resentful, begrudging the successes of the offender. It is vengeful, rejoicing when the offender experiences failure, difficulty, or hurt. It is maligning, talking to others about the faults of the offender with the intent to hurt them, not for your own purpose and intent of healing. Prideful, elevating self above the offender who is considered less deserving. Profane, verbally abusive toward the offender. Complaining, complaining and quick to quarrel over personal choices, words, and deeds. Impatient, when unforgiveness is in the heart, it's impatient. Exhibiting little patience while being easily provoked. Are, they, are you set off a lot faster now than you used to be? Is your fuse a lot shorter? Problem is, normally those that have angered you aren't even present. And so you have a short fuse with the current people in your life. And, and they don't even know why you have such a short fuse. And it's because of that person way back there. But I never forgave and so I'm acting it out here. Because what's left unattended in adolescence will be acted out in adulthood. An unforgiving heart has. That's what an unforgiving heart is. Now let's talk about what an unforgiving heart has. It's bitterness. Feeling weighed down with unresolved anger. Condemnation. Being intolerant of any present failures of the offender. Contempt. Looking down without mercy on the offender. Envy. Coveting the accomplishments of the offender. Retaliation. Desiring to get even with the offender. Slander. Sharing unnecessary negatives about the offender. Haughtiness. Acting with arrogance toward the offender. Resistance. Arguing about any advice or constructive criticism regarding the offender. Annoyance. Feeling easily irritated by the offender. Negativity. Feeling no joy and no approval concerning the offender. You with me? Stay with me. Forgiveness protects us from becoming like the very thing we detest. Jesus destroyed our record of wrongs at the cross, and we must destroy the record of others' wrongs. Keeping a record of wrongs is a choice not to love someone. You keep the record of wrongs, you're showing that you can't display and demonstrate love. So John said, if someone says that I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, 
that he who loves God must love his brother. Our prayers are only as deep as our forgiveness. And this is why many people quit praying. And it's also why their leadership dries up. And it's also why they'll lose their anointing. So Mark chapter 11 verse 25 and 26 says, And when you stand praying, forgive. If you ever wonder what you need to be praying about, if there's any unforgiveness, the first phrase is, when you stand praying, forgive. Implied is it's on your mind all the time. It's there constantly. You don't even have enough time to get down on your knees. You're still standing and praying. Forgive. Listen, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness means God buries our sins and he does not mark the grave. Love removes the grave marker of resentment toward your offender. In the New Testament, forgive is a Greek verb that means to send away, to release the penalty when someone wrongs you. Further, it means to let go, to disregard, or to give up a debt. We release our right to hear, I'm sorry. We remove the right to be bitter and we terminate the right for revenge. Love erases the wrong rather than files it away in our mental and emotional computers. And love protects us from bitterness taking root in our hearts. So I want to ask a question tonight to all of us, to all of us. Do we keep a sin account or do we keep a love account? A love account means that you release your rights regarding the offense. You release your right to dwell on the offense. You release your right to hold on to the offense. And you release your right to keep bringing up the offense. New commandment I give you. That you love one another as I have loved you. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to stay connected with the church and podcast, you can visit us at calvaryus.org or on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Calvary Pentecostal Church. God bless.